Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only, Miss Judy Gold. Hello. Oh my God. Judy Gold. I love it, David. Wait, David, you yes. know what your last name is, right? I do know because do you know that half my family has the last name Holiday? My uncle no. changed his last name to Holiday. So my cousins and all of that and the kids, it's Holiday. That, that is crazy? so unbelievable. To assimilate? You know what it is? Well, he was the first one to move to New York City way back when. You know, just like, I mean, which in New York City, in business, Yontef gets you far. You know, like it's a Jew right. city. Right. But he just felt like, listen, when I was young, my parents were like, you're not changing your last name to Holiday. That was all I wanted to do in life was, and what? when I make dinner reservations and stuff, I just sometimes say Holiday just because it's Oh, that is, that's, wait, what year did your grandfather come over? You think I know that? Oh, okay. No, like, I just, what you think that it's, you think that having a Jewy name will help you, but, but my grandfather was an architect and an engineer. He built like the underpinnings for the A train and like he built all these buildings in the in the 40s, 30s, you know, around there. Wow. And his last name was Goldberger. And he was supposed to he was offered a job on the, you know, housing authority or some some city agency if he changed his last name. Really? And he said no. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, fuck the holiday side of your family, Jew haters. That's like what I say. I say like, you know, so, but I'm over wanting to change my last name. But when I was growing up, you know, and wanting to be cool, that was the cool thing. I know, but I love, I love that name, Yontif, because it's like, it's just happy. It's like, good Yontif. 
Well, that's yeah. what it is. It's holiday. Yeah. But not yeah. everyone would know that. But you're such, yes. you are such a good Jewish girl that you know it. I'm a Jew. Yeah. Where are you from originally? Are you from this area, New York area? I, I am from New Jersey originally. And then I moved to New York right when I graduated college. Um, and I've lived in New York ever since. But right now, I am at my house in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Nice. I've been here since March. I mean, I went back in June for a couple of times. Uh, one to record my audiobook, and one to be in New York. Because I, I, I literally, when I left in March, I thought I was coming here for two weeks. Tell me about it. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. I was like, oh, all right, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Just take a little break. And we were like, you can't go back till after Memorial Day. I can't fucking, be- I cannot fucking believe this. David, can you fucking believe this shit? No. Okay. No. I, well, I mean, well, first of all, I was going to say, it doesn't look like you're in New York. I'm like, if that's your New York apartment, that looks very different but than New York apartment. You're not, are you not in New York, are you? Uh, I'm in Chelsea. That back, that gray thing is fucking, what is that a closet look at door? This. Look at that pink artwork over there. Oh my God, you are so gay. I love it. I, could I be, my apartment no. is, my well, apartment. you're in Chelsea, that's number one. Let's just start with that. My apartment yeah. is literally 50 shades of gray. Dark gray, medium gray, light gray, lighter gray. And that pink artwork there is, that's yeah. the only pop of color. Can um, I like tell you something? Yes. I love gray. What the love. fuck is that? I love gray. Love. Like people are like, oh, we're going to do a white wall. I'm like, no, I love gray. Like I think gray is a great color. It's pop- gray and pink are my colors. Yeah, I love it. Where do, where do you live in New York? Upper West Side, because I'm a Jew with kids, yeah. That's where? Little Israel. That's where it's Little Israel. Do you love yeah. living on the Upper West Side? I do. I mean, I've never, first of all, my mother grew up on the Upper West Side. And I feel like a link to history, like I pass by her building all the time, and my aunt and my grandmother, you know, all the buildings. But um, I, yeah, I mean... It's changed a lot, uh, but it is, it's home. I've been there since 1984, but I, I'm telling you, the, the fucking banks, every goddamn block, I can't. I can't with that. And all the mom and pop stores going, like, that's, like, I had a pharmacist who I literally would call up Peter's Pharmacy and I, like they'd go Peter's Pharmacy and I go, hi. And they go, Judy. I mean, I mean, come on, where else is that going to happen? So now I have to call Dwayne Reed. I fucking hate them. Um, but it's, yeah, it's changed a lot. And I'm not a big fan of de Blasio. No, I'm not. I will, especially uh, you asked me if I can believe what's going on in the world. I mean, it's just, yeah. That- How is New York right now? Do you, do you miss New York by not being I there? do. I think about it all the time. But it's not the New York I left. Like, it's weird. You know, I, see, I, I'm glad I came here and everyone can be like, hey, you left New York. But I get to be outside. Like, I really get to be out. When I left in March, you really couldn't go outside. So, so at, the, at that time, I was hiking and, you know, we were biking and we were outside and we could 
do shit in the driveway, you know, work out, whatever. Um, but now, and I was back in June, and I like the outdoor eating, right? That is nice. Yeah. But there's no comedy clubs open. There's no theater open. It's like you live in New York so that when you walk outside, you're in New York City. And so much of New York City is not there. Yeah. I mean, like, to your point, in the beginning, I did not leave my apartment. You know, I left to go to the grocery store. But even that, I would, like, stock up as if I lived in a snowstorm in, like, Maine. Like, as if the grocery store. I would, I'd be like, no, I want all of that. Like, all that prepared food. They'd be like, how much? I'm like, you see those Right. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm not coming back here because I can't leave my house. Now it's different, but you're right. Like, it's, it's, it's good now, but it's like, it is depressing. Like, when you are sitting outside and you're having a good time, but you're like, there's still no light. It, it's a little depressing. Right. And I was there during the riots, too. So I'm riding my bike and everything is not riots. I don't even know why I said fucking riots. During the protests, riots. Um, We're going to talk about choice of words and all that yes, when we get into okay. your book at the um, end. But yeah, I was there during the protests and everything was boarded up. Everything was boarded up. And it was so, I was like, where the fuck am I? I mean, like a European country in the 40s. Like, what the fuck is going on? How is, how is it there? Like, do people know? Because so I have friends in like Greenwich, Connecticut. So like I've been, you know, gone to, right. Well, yeah. that's what I was going to say. You go to Greenwich, Connecticut and like, you, 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 know, you go there for a day or two, you're happy. It's like, there's nothing going on in the world. It's well, like, I don't understand here. Let they're me living in like their own world there, which is right. nice for a day. You're like, which oh, is I, what I'm- they've, right. Cause they have, they can live in there. They can afford to live in their own little world. But here in Provincetown, you know, I really believe that first of all, it's an incredible community. And we went through the AIDS. I was here, you know, during the AIDS crisis too. And, and because of that, we everyone is, re- first of all, everyone wears a mask. Um, there's mask ambassadors who walk down the street and hand out masks. Um, a lot of the, you know, the, I take, there's a lot of takeout, which is good. Um, some of them, you like order it and they put it in, on a table outside. Um, some stores have gloves, Uh, you know, you cannot walk into a place without a mask. And of course, you know, look, a lot of the beaches are closed on the Cape. So there's so many straight people coming here and Trumpies. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, we didn't make this town for you. And no reverence. Like, that's the thing. They're walking down the street and they're like, oh, look at that shop and look at that, you know. And I'm just like, do you understand where this town came from and why it exists? Get the yeah. fuck, go to Wellfleet. There's so many other places on the Cape for you to go to. But if you say something, I've said, you know, you need to wear a mask or something. Some of them say, fuck you. Um, oh, I got really? called a dyke at the Cumberland Farms. Like, there, it's a weird wow. summer. But the people who are homeowners and, and you know, year rounds, everyone's really bonded together in a community. But it's like, I don't, I don't even want, I'm doing two shows a week, though. I'm working Monday nights and Wednesday nights. Oh, really? Yeah, I get to work outside at the Crown and Anchor Monday night. And Wednesday night, I do a show with Varla Jean Merman. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So that's, are you ever going to come back to New York? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know when. I mean, I, 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 
I'm in New York, so I can go to the theater. I can go to do comedy stand up at the comedy clubs. And my kids are ones in college and ones twenty four. So I like I was planning on staying here in September anyway because it was going to be my first September ever of my life that I could have stayed here. And you know, wow, yeah. Did you know you were funny growing up? Like, when did you first realize you were funny? Well, I always said, it was, this was my childhood. Judith, do not, what do you, we don't talk like that. And I'm like, why? I'm like, that is basically the way I was. I always talked about all, the, why aren't we talking about, you know, the elephant in the room? Always. Um, why are there so many secrets? Like, I was just this precocious big mouth. Um, but you know, I was bullied a lot and I think, um, you know, I, I was, I think I was, you can't learn funny, but I do think the fact that, you know, I was teased and, and bullied and called names every day. And in my head, I was like, you motherfucker, like, who the fuck do you think, you know, but I didn't say anything because my mother was like, Judith, uh, ignore them. They're jealous of you. And I'm like, they're not fucking jealous of me. But <laughs> later on, like years later, like 35 years later, my therapist is like, no, you should have, you should have fought back, which I was doing in my head. So I feel like, you know, being laughed at and being bullied and knowing you're funny, it's like, I wanted to control the laughter. I wanted to control what they were laughing at. And I also, um, I'm fearless. Like it's because there's nothing you can say to me that I haven't heard before. You know, I've been humiliated. I've been, you know, belittled. I've been through it all. So, you know, it's funny that your, your show is the velvet rope. And it's like some of the, the things that, that um, sort of trigger those memories, because I hate the word trigger, but unless it's used properly, um, are times when you're behind a velvet rope and you're doing the step and repeat. And it's like, oh God, you know, so-and-so is in front of me and they're so famous and I'm just like a comic. I'm just like, and you know, please know who I am, you know? And sometimes it's like, I'm sorry, your, your name and what do you do? And I'm like, fuck you, you fucking asshole, fuck. Um, so, you know, it's that, this idea, like, you have to put on a happy face. Yeah. You know. I was bullied, too, so I, yeah. I, like, get it. Right. Don't you feel like, we're, you know, you feel like, fuck you, you fucking piece of shit. You're ugly. Yeah. You're short. You're dumb. You're fat, you're this, you know, oh, okay, fat, I said fat, sorry. Um, but whatever, you know, and you're, you're picking on me because I'm gigantic, you know, like, fuck you. Um, but, you know, we're marginalized. You know, we're also marginalized because we're LGBT. Right. Q plus, pi sign, cosine, umlaut. And it's like, you know, when you're marginalized, you have a great sense of humor because 
there, as my mother used to say, if we weren't laughing, we'd be crying. I mean, it's a coping mechanism. And gays are the best fucking audience. Jews are the best audience. People of color are the best audience because they can laugh at themselves. I never. Does anyone else think buying gifts for the men in your life is difficult and kind of puts it off to the last minute? Well, now there's an easy solution because grooming gift sets from Duke Cannon are available at Target. They're fun, they're useful, and they freaking smell so good. Take Frothy the Bear Man gift set. It's three big-ass bricks of soap that are infused with beer and booze, but they don't smell like beer and booze. They smell like citrus, oak barrel, and sandalwood. It's a great gift for any guy who cleans himself, so it really applies to everyone, whether they bathe frequently or not. Or there's the Beard That Stole Christmas gift set. It's a box set of beard goods, basically beard oils, beard washes. And the best thing is both of these packages that I just described are $20. That's right, $20. The Frothy the Beer Man gift set, you get three huge bars of soap. With the Beard That Stole Christmas gift set, you get two beard oils, and one beard wash. And the thing is, these make great gifts, guys, because the packaging, it's so kitschy, it's fun. The packaging itself is worth the $20. The products are functional. Who isn't going to use beard oil or a beard wash? And who doesn't want a huge block of soap? And they're really great soaps. They smell really good. They're fun gifts, $20. They're kitschy. They're great. The men in your life will love them. If you've waited to the last minute, I mean, how many days do we have left till Christmas Eve and Christmas? Let me tell you, there is a solution. The next time you're in Target, look for Duke Cannon grooming products in the grooming section and pick this up. The Frothy the Beer Man gift set, $20. The Beer That Stole Christmas gift set, $20. Available at Target. And you know what? When you give this as a gift and the men in your life are thanking you, you can come back and thank me. Never thought about it like that, but that makes sense. Right. We have humility. We have, we know how to, you know, it, it's like we, comedy is so disarming and it's a unifier. And so, you know, you could be sitting in an audience at a club pre-pandemic and you're like sitting at a table and you're part of a bigger audience. Like you're part of the audience and you're, you're laughing with the next table. You could hate them. You don't even know you hate them. You could hate them. But everyone's in it together, sort of. Um, and the comedian, is, it's such a powerful position. It's like being an orchestra leader, you know? And you're eliciting a, a response. It, involuntary. I mean, laughter's not voluntary, unless you're faking it, you know? Um, and it's a powerful position to be in. And in this country, we equate power with, you know, white men. So, you know, that's why I think it's harder for other types of people to you know, gain the respect of an audience because of, you know, this fucking misogyny, bullshit, crap, racism, homophobia, fucking assholes. But of what's, and you find like for truth, like if you go to like the middle of nowhere and it's like a straight white audience, it's not as appreciative. You know, it's funny because some of the places I've gone to where I have thought, oh God, this is going to suck. They're great little towns in remote places in the middle of nowhere. 
islands or artist colonies, those audiences are so fucking great. Like I did a, an island off of Washington. I forgot, uh, Vashon Island. I don't even know what, uh, but there's these little pockets of, you know, artists, colony, you know, people who, you know, went to a community and like made this community in the middle of like Redland, like liberal, artsy, and those are the greatest. You know, look, I'm at the point where people will come see me. They know what to expect. Um, yeah. But that being said, I was doing a show, my first night here in Provincetown, and people are dying to go to shows and dying to laugh because, you know, it's been a fucking shit show. So my first night, it was a Monday night. I think it was the beginning of July. And... I did my show and then I was at the stop and shit, stop and shop a few days later and I am leaving and I, my poster's up, right? Have you ever been to Provincetown? Yeah, it's great. You're okay. made, the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, you're making me want to like, just get up there oh, right get now. Up and like, come, go, um, come in September. It's so great. It is. Like, um, so my poster's up at the stop and shit and I leave the stop and shit and I see my poster cause I, I always check to see if they're still up because people take them down. And uh, I look at it and they wrote on my poster, someone took a Sharpie and wrote horrible show, which has never happened ever. We're in Provincetown, free to be yeah. human made. So I call the you know p- producer of the show. I'm like, can you fucking believe this? Like, what the fuck is going on? And he told me that there were four Trump supporters at my show the first night and they complained and wanted their money back and the owner rightly so rick murray said no you're not getting your money back and they went and defaced my posters now if they went into the stop and shop to buy a sharpie to do that there's really something fucking wrong but you know like seriously but no one does that like you like why are comedians First of all, it's never been, like, he has fucking divided us so much, but it's never been like, okay, you think differently politically. You're on a different, you know, mindset politically than me, so I'm not going to enjoy your music, or I'm not going to enjoy your comedy or your art or your singing or your whatever. But now we're so fucking divided, and the fact that, this motherfucker has no sense of humor. He can't even have a comedian at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. He wants SNL investigated. He can't, he's a fucking evil piece of shit prick. And all his followers, because that's what they are, it's a fucking cult. You can't even do a joke about his hair and they turn on you. It's never been like that. You, comedians always talked about the President of the United States. That is fair game, you know? It's... He has fucking poisoned us. I hate that. Ugh. Did you watch the convention? Ugh. I feel like I'm the only one that didn't. Well, I I feel like I have people, like I was at tennis today and they were like, oh, you didn't do that to yourself. I'm like, I have to, I'm a comic. But Avankunt was so bad. She, she's like, and I looked at my father and he looked at me and he said, you know, I really wish we could do that for more. It's like, it was so fake and horrible. And like, huh. 
And you know, some people don't like his tweets, but I like uh, Eric just like, I fucking hate you. I hate you. I hate all of you. I fucking hate you. I, I literally, no, I don't watch, I haven't watched like actual non-recorded TV, like the news or anything in like the longest time. I just. You are, David, David Yontif is smart. That's what I have to I say. feel like I get enough of what's, like, you're the third person that's telling me it. So I'm like, all right, I don't need to watch it. I've already heard about it enough. Do, do you get, do you get, um, do you get news on Twitter? No. Oh. I, I literally get my news just from people being like, this is what happened. This is, like, I don't even know what phase we're in in New York. I just listen to what someone wants to tell me, and I'm like, that's enough. I just... No, and nothing's opening like, today so what's right. the difference so you're you you're pretty emotionally healthy you, you don't feel agitated or anything no wow no like in the beginning of all this i also was like what the fuck is going on right everyone bet their money against me because i am one of those people like for even for this like for work i'm out every night so i really was the typical new yorker that was out like seven nights right. a week whether it's theater or whatever, drinks. Right. So in the beginning, I was like, I'm just, I, what? Like, I, like, right, my life right, is drastically right, right. changed. Not that, but then you just get used to it and you're like, all right, I'm just going to live in my bubble. And get right, enough, and get enough, yeah. And yeah, like, get enough adjust. of the information. Wow, you're, yeah. But I mean, okay. you know, I, I th thank you for calling me emotionally healthy or whatever you just called me. Well, I'm not sure that anyone I else should, has. I know. I know I shouldn't look at my phone, but it's like, and it's what he wants too. Like he wants to, to, to have free rent in your head. He wants everyone talking about him. And he's so abhorrent and fucking disgusting and despicable that you can't believe it. And like, so sometimes I'm like, I'm not even going to watch, but then I'm like, but I'm an American and I have kids and I, I'm, you know, an, an activist. And I, so I, Ugh, but he's, I hate you. Okay. Like, where else do you draw your, like, do you draw, I mean, because, like, I know, like, you know, you're a Jewish, a lovely Jewish woman. Like, do you draw your other, so, like, you said you have to watch, technically, because you're a comic. Like, where do you draw your other material from? Like, your Jewish mom? Like, I know. Oh, well, my mother's dead, so um, I don't get any jokes from her yet anymore, but that was free material for many years. Um... Right, like you, you know, had your stand-up. Right. 25 so questions I, for a Jewish mother. That was, yeah, that was a one-person show. And, you know, I did two off-Broadway one-person shows, which were really Before we continue this conversation, I just want to say that 2020 has certainly been a year. And at the beginning of quarantine, there was a lot getting in the way of my happiness and achieving my goals. And I turned to BetterHelp, which is online professional counseling. And it really helped me not only achieve happiness during this time, but really achieve my goals. Behind the Velvet Rope went from two times a week to four times a week, and I wrote a book, the Behind the Velvet Rope book. So for anyone that feels that things are getting in the way of their happiness and achieving their goals, I strongly recommend BetterHelp. You don't even have to leave your house. It is online professional counseling. And what I love about it is you can start communicating with them within 24 hours of signing up. Anyone that knows me knows that if you don't get back to me, that is a huge pet peeve of mine. These counselors 
get back to you in a very timely manner and you're really matched with a counselor that fits your needs. If you get a counselor that you don't like, you can just request another counselor. Everything, of course, is confidential. They deal with a variety of issues, depression, stress, anxiety, sleep. We're all having trouble sleeping during this. Trauma, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem, grief, LGBTQIA issues. And I have to say, it is actually more affordable than traditional online counseling, and financial aid is available for anyone that cannot afford it. So they're growing so rapidly, and so many people are turning to BetterHelp for help that they're looking for additional counselors in all 50 states. Go to betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope betterhelp.com slash velvet rope and you get 10% off your first month. Join over 1 million people today taking charge of their mental health. You're not alone. If you need help, this is a great solution. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope and get 10% off your first month. Really great. But you know, for as far as my stand-up, I mean, I... I am a stand-up. Like, that's all I think about all day. And, uh, you know, sometimes I still pinch myself. Like, I'm 57 years old, and I'm, I still, well, before pandemic, like, I still leave the house at 8.30, 9 o'clock to go downtown to the cellar to do sets. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, I am sitting on the subway with my notebook, just like I was when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. It's just, I'm still doing it. So it's the... I love that I can still do my art, but um, I, you know, I am always in a perpetual state of being aggravated. And I find I like, I'm, I notice everything. And like, there are a lot of things that just fucking annoy me. And so a lot of my stuff is just like the ridiculousness in everything and not taking yourself so seriously. And also, I now preface every joke with, okay, you know, if you're easily offended, you're going to hate this. And then, like, if I do a joke about the Holocaust or something, and then now it's, and you look, you can talk about any topic in stand-up as long as it's funny. You have to make the joke funny. So uh, now when I get oohs and uh from the audience, which we never used to get, but now we get them all the time, um... I'm like, okay, so my Twitter is J-E-W-D-Y. You can, like, tweet at me and tell me what a fucking asshole I am and how I'm a self-hating Jew. So that's, you know, like, I just throw it out there and put it back on them because, you know what? We all need a fucking laugh. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order 
or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. And my making jokes about myself or my, you know, my religion, my being a lezzy, you know, my relationship, you know, like if it doesn't bother Elisa, my girlfriend, if it doesn't bother my kids, if it it didn't bother my mother, why the fuck does it bother you? You know? Do you get a lot of like hate, like DMs on Instagram? Oh, it's, yes, I get so, uh, you know, I got so many people, um, you know, we were going to go see you in Florida but not after what you wrote about our president of the end. I'm like, okay, fine. I don't fucking want you <laughs> anyway. Like, it's just, how, how dare you disrespect the president? Have you seen him? He, he like, is there, the word respect and him, even in the same fucking room, asshole. So I do get a lot of, I do get hate mail and I get most of it is anti-Semitic. There really? is so much anti-Semitism. It is unbelievable. You get that more than like hate against, you get that more than like hate LGBT against. LGBT. Yeah. 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 Don't, do you? I, when I get hate, it's not usually because I'm gay now. Yeah. It's because it, of other things. Right, like the right, other right. day, someone wrote to me and DM me and like, you know, I hate all these episodes of your podcast and this, and I'm like, thank you very much for quoting okay. specific things out of like 17 different podcast episodes. Right. And I'm glad that you hated so much and you can keep that hating it. Keep, right. Just keep listening, please. It's, it's, sure. it's like everyone has a soapbox, you know, and everyone doesn't deserve a soapbox. And this is what's killing comedy. This is, you know, my book, it, it, you know, people are reading it and go, and saying, oh my God, I love this book. It's because it's it has a lot of history. It's the history of, you know, it's about free speech from the perspective of a comedian, but there's a lot of history of comedy and censorship. And and the greatest part of it, it is, it is an argument. It's a polemic. But the greatest argument, uh, the greatest part of the argument is that I get to mine the years and years of great comics material to prove my point. So it's funny and for it's just yeah, and I had this one of my first reviews on Amazon is this fucking C cunt who um, gives me one star, okay, and is like, I don't know why she, you know she had to you know talk about Trump and Trump supporters. I guess she you know has to go. It's it's ridiculous, but it's about me. Um, being a, a lefty. Meanwhile, I completely attack the left and their political correctness as much. Um, right. And so, uh, so she writes this, you know, I was disappointed that she had to, you know, talk about Trump and Trump supporters, you know, and, uh, and then she says, I did enjoy the history of comedy and censorship. And uh, that was very important. And I like and I like the way she handled the Bill Cosby um, thing, but overall disappointed in one star. So, which proves my point about the book is that you liked the book, but you're a Trump supporter. So instead of you know saying I'm letting my emotion drive this and bring my fucking reviews de- like my number of stars down totally. 
because I, I don't like Donald Trump. Meanwhile, you did like, I mean, it's just, and it just proves my point of this cancel culture. Um, you said one thing I don't like, so fuck you, you know? No. And you want to say to someone, you sit at home, write a fucking book, and when your right. book is written and published, call me. Right. And let me know how that process was right. for you. And also, you're so powerful now. You gave me one star and brought my, my total amount of stars down while you fucking go sell real estate in Florida. And I'm like doing research and trying to inform people and entertain people. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. Is that, so your book is called Yes, I Can Say That. So is that how it came about? Like, is it a product of cancel culture? Well, this is how it came out. So Vice News on HBO did this piece about uh, college bookers telling comedians what they can and cannot say on stage. Like, so they're interviewing, and they're like in their early 20s, and they're interviewing these kids, and they're like, yeah, we need to protect the students and, you know, so they don't feel uncomfortable and safe space and blah, blah, blah. And so they said, would you do the opposing viewpoint? I'm like, absolutely. And I was in it and I, they, you know, they did this piece and Ricky Gervais retweeted it and it, it and they, an editor from HarperCollins wrote to me and said, would you be willing to write a book about free speech, cancel it, culture, all this stuff from the perspective of a comedian? I was like, yes. So it was really an assignment. And, um, and that's, that's how the book came about. And it took a year. They wanted it out like right away, but there was no fucking way. And, you know, it's made me love stand up even more. I mean, it, it makes me want to defend you know, comedy even more. And, you know, it's just interesting that when you, all these fucking assholes who take intent, context, and nuance out of a bit, you know what I mean? So someone says something and um, you hear a word, you're like, nope, can't listen to the rest. Nope, blah, blah, blah. You're like, you can't even hear the whole fucking thing because you're triggered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the end of comedy. And comedy and satire, we tell the truth. That's why people are so threatened by comedians. Because we speak truth to power. And people don't like that. And who are fucking asshole liars. Um, so in that way, it is a weapon. But, you know, if you murder someone and you're on trial for homicide, your sentence is determined by your intent. What were you thinking? Were you, did you think about it before? Did you plan it out? But yet, a comedian doesn't get the same consideration. Like, it's so fucking annoying. It's um, true. And it's, you know, look, you're gay. I have an example in the book. I am about, gay. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging. <laughs> oh, yes. You're a gay. Um, and this is just a generational thing. So in the book, I, um, I tell this story because, you know, I play tennis here in Provincetown. I'm a professional tennis player. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so not, but I say, I tell Elisa that I'm a professional tennis player all the time and she's really good and she gets she? so mad. Yeah, she's really good. And I'm like, well, I'm a professional tennis Well, you're player. probably better than I am. So let's leave it at that. Oh, uh, please. Look at you. Um, yeah, we play doubles. But anyway, we're like old Jewish ladies. So, um, so a couple of years ago, 
you know, they have carnival here in Provincetown, which is like Mardi Gras and they have a big parade and everything. So the theme, I think it was two years ago, was the 80s, right? Mm. So we're, I was playing tennis with some guys, gay, my age, and they're like, oh, what are you going, you know, they're like, oh, we're dressing up as, um, you know, I don't know, it's like a disco, whatever, for the parade or, some, or something, or Madonna or something 80s, they were dressing up as. Uh, and they go, what are you going as? And I said, oh, I was thinking of going as a distressed T-cell, right? So we start cracking up. He then, the next week, he comes back. He's like, oh, my God. I told one of my friends who's, like, in his 20s that, that you said that. And he was appalled. He was appalled. He couldn't believe it. And it was just because, you know, don't tell me I can't say that. I lived through the AIDS crisis. I watched people dying. I, you know, I worked at the first AIDS ride. I were, I, you know, I, I, I mean, the AIDS walk. I, I went and visited campsites when people were doing the AIDS ride to do stand-up for them. Like, I worked at God's Love We Deliver. Like, and I'm not saying that to, so you're like, oh, the I'm just saying that it's like, that is my way of coping. And people from our generation, especially gay people, we have such an incredible sense of humor and camp, you know? Um, and you think about it, straight, boring people are always like, oh, can we go to the gay bar with you? But do you ever hear gay people saying, oh, can we go to the straight bar with you and play pool and darts? No. Okay, because we're fun. But <laughs> that is true. But, yeah, but that whole generational thing, um, my friend teaches stand up and she has a Holocaust uh, survivor, you know, uh, 2G, second generation, so the child of Holocaust survivor in, in the class. And then she also had like a 16 year old in the class. And the child of Holocaust survivors is writing material about what it's like to grow up being the child of Holocaust survivors. And she was writing a joke about how they played hide and seek, but they called it Holocaust. And, um, you know, and this kid, this like 16 year old kid wrote to my friend, the teacher, you know, I cannot stay in this class if you're going to allow her to write material about the, the worst, you know, the, the Holocaust. Who the fuck are you? This is her life. You yeah. know? It, it, like, this is what's happening. You're, you're uncomfortable with that. Um, so no one should talk about, like, this, like, idea of safe spaces. What, what the, what is the fucking, every safe space has a door to the real world. It's not, it's not a fun world. Sorry. It's like, this, Everyone gets a trophy bullshit. Like you get a trophy because you won the race and you broke the record and you get a trophy for smiling while he did it. No, that's not real life. Yeah. So like this whole, yes, words evolve and think, you know, things have different meanings and some jokes I did 20 years ago, I would never do now, you know, but don't tell us what we can and cannot say. It's not. I agree. I mean, listen, I am, it's impossible to offend, you know, I am, like, I am offended 0.00001% of 
my life. Like it's right. so hard to offend me. Right. I, like I, maybe it goes back to being bullied as a child. Like right, I, I've, right. I've heard it all. Like oh, right. Life is good now, people. Yes. Like it's so I don't. I, I, I don't like, get it. I feel like being offended is a choice. You know, because right. yes, you can get a ping or like oh okay, and then move on with your fucking life. That's it. You know, and you know pe- people. I write in the book, but people who go to a comedy club and get upset for being offended because they got offended. It's like going to an amusement park, getting on a roller coaster and being upset that you got scared or sick, you know, too, like too fucking bad. Well, also, I mean, I was going to say like, I would love to know who these people are with that. I don't have that time. Like, do you have time to go home and be offended for 17 hours? Oh, I know. I, exactly. Like where, I'd I like your life where I wake up and I have yeah. 24 hours to be offended by one I'm thing. I'm going to sit on the internet and, and write Yelp reviews. I mean, okay, miserable. Seriously. Go fucking finger your cat. Seriously. <laughs> well, speaking for a second of the 80s, since we're going to segue into that for a second, you know where I'm going. I'm going to talk about my queen for 30 seconds. Let's okay. talk about the Rosie show. Oh, okay. You know where this is going. I do? You, well, when your son, Henry, oh, yeah. was held in the hands of, of, the, of a god amongst us, Miss Madonna. So... I was writer-producer of The Rosie Show, and Henry and Lourdes, Madonna's daughter, um, were, had the same due date, actually, but Henry was born a little before, I think. And, you know, this was when the whole Madonna-Rosie thing would, like, be all over the tabloids and, you know, they were BFFs and everything. So after Lourdes was born... Um, there was, you know, Madonna was doing the show, but there was this rumor going around that she was going to bring Lourdes. So um, this one, the executive producer's like, look, what if we, we had Madonna walk out with a baby and everyone thinks it's Lourdes, but it's not. Do, could Henry do it? And so I talked to my ex um, and we were like, sure. So... We, uh, that morning, I was already at work. Sharon, my ex, comes with, I mean, he was so cute and tiny, little baby. Um, and she gets to, thir- you know, Rockefeller Plaza, 30 Rock. And, you know, this is pre-9-11. So it's like, she's walking, she gets out of the car and it's like paparazzi all over her. She gets in, they're like walking her into the elevator. They're trying to get in the, like they think that she's the nanny and that's Madonna's baby. And they like, she was like, I was scared. So we go upstairs, we're in a green room with Madonna and Henry and Sharon, my ex. And um, she's like, okay, so what, what do I need to know? And he was in this cute little blanket. I said, oh, he loves when you sing to him, which he does. She's like, oh, okay. So she starts singing and he starts bawling. So I'm like, okay, he loves when I sing to them, him. Anyway, um, so <laughs> Madonna walks out with the baby and everyone's fucking going crazy. And I'm waiting in the wings and they're, they're like, oh, the baby's, you know, Rosie's like, oh, the baby's so cute. And Madonna's like, 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. And Rosie's like, oh. And she kept referring to the baby as she, even though it was he. But no, you know. Oh, she's so, she really is. A, and, but, but Madonna, um, that's not your baby. I know, but, it, you know, Madonna's like, oh, but isn't it cute? And then, you know, I go and pick up the baby. But the best part of that story is she's like, oh, it's Judy Gold. And I go and I grab Henry and I go back stage. My mother's friends were like, Judith had a baby? How do I not know Judith had a baby? I was watching the show and they said, Judith, why didn't you tell me Judith had a baby? And then my mother was like, Judith's roommate had a baby and then Judith adopted it. And that became the my name of my first album, Judith's Roommate Had a Baby, because that's what she would tell people. My roommate had a baby and I adopted it because that's what you do. Like if your roommate's pregnant, you, oh, I should probably pay for hair for that kid. If, you know, like so fucking ridiculous. But that was like a major coming out thing for me. Wow. For my mother's friends who she never told. Isn't was that- your mother like, why didn't you give me a heads up with this? Like, was she no. one of those mothers of like, oh my God, people know this? No, she and- just did it again, didn't say anything. No one talked about anything uh, in my family. I mean, if you were funny in my family, if you had a clever um, comment or a jab, you know, that got a lot of positive reinforcement. But no hugging, no, none, none of that kind of stuff. Um, and just not talking a lot. Like we didn't talk about, you know, if, if you don't talk about it, then it's not there. But that's, we all know silence equals death. So, so that was Judith. I got a call from so-and-so about they saw you and then now they, now I have to explain the, and I'm like, oh my God, Ma, are you fucking kidding? I mean, she, when I came out, she never, she was, I, she never was like, I'm never going to talk to you. I mean, but she is, she was born in 1922. So it was like, you know, for her, it was like, oh my God. You know, she used to tell me, why can't you be more like Ellen? She doesn't talk about it all the time. I'm like, all right, let me cut my hair, wear men's clothes and come over and visit you and dance. Like, all right, Joan, at the end, I know what I'm talking about. But, um, but yeah, that was, and I have to say, I am still friends with so many people from the Rosie show. Um, I've seen so many of them become really great executive producers, writers. Um, and it was such a fun time. Like it was really really fun. And, you know, I, I remember when, you know, John McDaniel was the, you know, he was the, uh, band leader and Rosie and me, you know, there were all these people. And I remember when we would do like rehearsals in the morning before the show, um, John and I, like, we would say if, if middle America only knew how gay this, this is like the gayish, everyone here is gay and we're just putting on a big gay show, you know, but it just couldn't be done at that time, you know? Did you know? Well, yes. Yes to all of that. Did you know? I was already out. I was already out. Did you know Madonna before that? Like, were you in that group? You weren't? No, I was, I'm a nerdy comedian. I've lived my entire life in comedy clubs. I was in LA for a few years before I went back and did Rosie because when Henry was born, my ex had Henry. I had been uh, five years later. But when, when I 
when when my ex got pregnant, she was like, "All right, we gotta live either you gotta pick because we can't live in two places." And I had just been on you know Margaret Cho's sitcom, All American Girl, and then I did another series, and I was really starting to get like. And then she was pregnant, and I was like, "Oh, I really don't." I want to bring my kid up in New York. Like my fa- like a, that was always my dream. It's like, where's, what, name a better place to bring up your kid. Where did you grow up? I grew up between Connecticut and New York. Like right. I was born so, in Connecticut. Like my whole family's New York, Connecticut, Long Island. Right. It's so all the you same get thing. it. You get, you I know, do. like I wanted to be, the only reason I was living in LA was for work. And it was like, what's that? I don't know. So, and look, being bullied, you know, if, if you if I grew up in New York City, it would have been a totally different experience. And you know, I would I would always say to my kids on the way to school, do not ever bully anyone. And if you see someone being bullied, you go and and help them and defend them. And my kids were like, Mommy, no one gets bullied. Like you're fucking living in New Jersey in the <laughs> 1970s. Like we don't like they have they have trans kids and and you know, non-binary kids and, and um, y- you know, questioning and or gender fluid. And they don't give a fuck. They do not give a fuck. So, um, yeah, it was, it, I, I don't know. It's, it makes you, gives you a thick skin, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I yeah. really personally think it's like one of the best things that ever happened to me. Right. Like, you would not be who you are. Totally. And like, you wouldn't have that wicked sense of humor where, like, things just, you know. Yeah. And it's, like, up. made me, like, you know, it's made me successful in life, as, as weird as that is. Right. Because you're just yeah. like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I mean, right. you know, it's many years later. I'm over it now. But it's, like, it. But, I, so, like, so the L.A. thing was, like, I didn't want him to... Brought, and LA is so like high school, you know, you're, everyone is in the same business. So it's like, you all go to the same high school. You're either really popular or you used to be popular or you're a druggie or you're just, you know, whatever. And, and so when I, I did, I moved back to New York and um, Rosie was like, look, I want, can I see Henry? And I was like, yeah, I'll come over. And then she said to me, you know, so you don't have to go on the road. Why don't you, why don't you, um, you know, send in a writing sample? Cause we need a writer. And I was like, okay. And I sent in a bunch of jokes and the uh, next day she did a couple of the jokes at the, at the uh, desk. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get a call. And I got a call and that was it. Yeah. But wow. it, um, but it changed the trajectory of my career a hundred percent. And plus, you know, right then I came out on stage because I was a gay parent and I had all this great material. And I was like, every comic talks about their family. No one's going to tell me I can't talk about mine. And what kind of message is it to give to your kids? Like, we don't talk about this. We're different, you know? And I think that had a, a profound effect on, you know, cause I had just done an HBO special And interestingly enough, all of these great organizations, LGBTQ plus, I would always host or be involved and, uh, you know, volunteer or just whatever. 
and for their galas. And then all of a sudden when, you know, it became convenient in the aughts, late aughts, you know, like when they were like, all right, I'm, I'm a billionaire. I think I'll come out of the closet now. They never even fucking call me anymore. It's just so, it's, ugh, it's this business. But, you know, it's just so funny when people, are, oh, they're so brave. They came, it's like, oh my God, they came out of the closet after they made fucking $10 million. Shut the fuck up. Brave. Right. Don't well, you think that? Yeah. And what, like, they don't call you because now what? They're like, oh, well, oh, we'll, no, I'm not we'll get you know, an L. Like, right. Yeah, we, yeah, we, uh, we had you. Yeah. Yeah, when you couldn't, no one else would come out of the closet, you fuckheads. Right. Now there's. Whatever. What do you think, speaking of, like, cancel culture and everything, what do you think of all the stuff that was going on at the Ellen show? Like, are you friends with Ellen? Do you know Ellen? Oh, I'm not friends with Ellen. And I'm not oh. just saying that because you're a lesbian and a comedian. Oh, yeah, no. But she's West Coast. I'm East Coast. I did work with her a couple times and she was fine. But I had been hearing rumors about this. Stuff. You know, like, every where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, we had heard about, you know, Bill Cosby's a, you know, slob pig. You know, we didn't, I didn't know the extent. But I had heard and I had, I knew people who wrote on the show who were like, oh, the happiest day of my life was when I got to clean up my desk, but yeah, all that stuff. And, and, you know, you got to realize you can't like go around saying, be kind, be kind, be kind, you know, and then not be kind and not know what the fuck's going on. But like your every TV show takes on the personality of the star. It's like, you look at our country. Everyone's a miserable fuck in a bad mood, just treating people like shit because the guy at the top does that. Like, it's the same thing with a TV show. It's, you know, if the star is a piece of garbage and nasty to people, that's the way the set is. Like, that's how it is for the people who work there. So, um... I think you could get the truth out of, you know, all the people who work there and there seemed to be a bunch of them. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who had a great time, who, you know, but you can't, I don't know. I feel like smoke fire, baby. That makes sense. And now I just, somebody I just sat down with was Miss Melissa Rivers. So let's talk about. Oh, I loved her. Love. I, love. I have. A whole chapter in the book about Joan. Um, I, I can't. Like, just amazing. So there's one chapter called Can We Talk? And, um, and it's really about how she really embodied the whole idea of free speech, speaking truth to power. Um, and in her five decades of doing stand-up, you really saw where women stood in society. And... She was my fucking hero. So many heroes. I mean, you think about the impact she had. I mean, there was, yes, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Um, you know, there were a lot of, of, of people who broke these, the Smothers Brothers, you know, these barriers that we had. But she, I mean, first of all, she was never more relevant than when she died at 82. Totally. She was so fearless. She was on the pulse of every 
anything that was socially relevant, you know, she created the red carpet. I mean, oh, she was, and the fucking funniest. I can't believe you got Melissa. Right, that's, listen, this is behind the velvet rope here. I know, fuck it. Yeah, but I have a whole chapter on her and I really want to send Melissa a book. You should. Did, did, did Joan know that like, you know, she was your. Oh yeah. I used to, um, I was friendly with Joan. What the last time I saw her was here. We were, she was performing here. It was August. Uh, and it was, she was performing at town hall and I was like, Oh, I'm coming. She's like, Oh, you might have to do the show for me because uh, who knows if I'm going to get there. And then, um, I went to the first show. I, like I, no one made me laugh like her. And then we hung out backstage in between. We had some wine. And then she said, let's make a Vine video. And I was like, what's a Vine video? That's how on the pulse she was. I had no fucking idea. Smart, brilliant, classy, kind. Um, just, I mean, they don't make them like that. No. They don't. Yeah, but I mean- she knew. And she did, she knew, she hated, I'd be like, do you know what you've done for women? Oh, I didn't do anything. I never did anything. You know, like, just, oh, I just fucking miss her. Right? Oh my God, yes. What would she say about, I mean, like, it's, what would she say about all of this, this cancel culture? Oh, uh, she would be like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) You know, she never apologized for, she is the epitome. That's why I had to do the last chapter. Second to last chapter is all about her. Um, you know, I, she would be really annoyed about this because, you know, she was always like, oh, come on. Oh, shut up. Um, the only time she ever sort of apologized for a joke was, when Willie Nelson's daughter wrote to her, because she had a joke about Willie Nelson being a big pothead since no one ever knew that. Seriously. And the daughter, the daughter was a little, she was in school and the kids were teasing her. And so Joan took the joke out of, you know, her ass. But, you know, with Elizabeth Taylor, you know, she called Roddy McDowell, who was their friend, both, you know, Elizabeth's friend and Joan's friend, and said, is Elizabeth bothered by, and she was like, he was like, no, she doesn't give a shit. And it's again, if she doesn't give a shit, why the fuck do you give a shit, you know? Um, And everything she said was the fucking truth. Oh, she was so fucking brilliant. Yeah. Do you follow uh, Melissa's Instagram where she does the joke cards? Brilliant. And like the documentary, like that scene where she like went over to the edge of the stage, like someone was heckling her and she's like, get the, get the fuck out of here. Right. Right. You can leave, like stand up and leave. Right. I do that too. You know, yeah, I've learned so much from her, but yeah, I do that. I'm like, really? Why? Well, you just came here to ruin everyone's fucking. Yeah. We watched that documentary. I actually watched it while, and Joan was there. It was some small theater and they were doing that. Um, a showing and uh when she opens her calendar and there's no dates you know she talks about opening it and her biggest fear elisa was like oh my god that's you because <laughs> it is it's you know this 
there's something weird about having to get on stage every night and have an audience of strangers love you, you know, that we have this need. But she was brilliant. She was, she was brilliant. Yeah. Do you find like the audiences change? Like you can do your Monday and your Wednesday show in Provincetown and like the same exact material, just one night is off and another oh, when, night. Yeah, you just, some things land with, but it's, there's so many factors involved. You know, if the people had to wait online long, if it's cold, if it's hot, if they got in a fight before they got there, if they're on a first date, like there's all these you know, other factors involved in whether an audience is enjoying your set or into it, you know? Or, you know, and a lot of times if a piece of, like if an asshole, but this doesn't happen in Provincetown, but if you're doing, if you're in a showcase club and, and some like horrible comic goes on before you and, you know, dumbs down the audience and then you get up there and it's like, you know, there's times, but there's times where there are other factors involved, but usually I love a challenge. So if someone gets off stage and goes, oh, they suck. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. You know? Are you a fan of like any current comedians, like female, male, like any of the current crop? All gender? Uh, yeah, I love a lot of them. Um, you mean the newer ones? Yeah, or like, you know, like even like a Tiffany Haddish, Amy Schumer. Oh, I love Tiffany. I love Amy. I love Rachel Feinstein. I love Jessica Kirsten. I love Carmen Lynch, um, Marina Franklin. Um, there's so many. Uh, Bonnie McFarlane. Um, I'm going to forget, you know, these are newer. And then, you know, I love Sam Morell. Um who else? Uh, I don't know. There's just so many. Um, I like to focus on the women because, you know, we don't have it easy. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? Frankie French. Um, I don't know. There's so many. Okay. I, there's a lot. But, yeah, Sam Morell is one of my – I just love that guy. Um, Alex Edelman. There's just so many. There's a lot. There's a lot of really good ones and there's a lot of really shitty ones too, you know? Um, do you ever get like, uh, yeah. do you ever get like from what you do, you know, like when you're on the red carpet, like starstruck, like where you are meeting like a Madonna or someone like that, you know, just do you ever, or you're just, you know, I mean, you meet a lot of people through what you do. I don't really get starstruck, you know, like, or like fangirl out. I did once and I I was at a friend's show and I and like I wasn't expecting but I turned around and there was Anna Devere Smith and I was like oh my god like I just love her and she's so fucking talented I was like oh my god like and I I don't even know where the fuck it came from and I was like oh my god I have to sit in front of her and she probably thinks I'm such an asshole um so I remember that and Elisa was like oh my god you know the whole time and it was a small right. theater it was um and then uh, I remember on Rosie, like there would be certain, like Madeline Albright, like, oh, um, what's her name? Uh, uh, Angela Lansbury, like all these like icony people. And those, that's what, but people like my age who were, I don't know, it's, it's weird because 
it's just so funny when you see people when they first started and then you see how people react to them like Wanda and Ray Romano. It's like, oh my God, I remember these guys, you know, bombing. Well, they didn't really, but you know what I mean? Just, yeah. I don't know. It's just funny how, who makes it to what level and, and the, the amount of luck involved and timing and just being in the right it's just different it's different for everyone and so it's so hard to say because i do see and this is gonna sound really arrogant but i know there are people who are huge stars who got way more than i did in the business but know that i'm a harder worker or i'm or think i'm funnier you know and just didn't get my due you know there is a lot of that. So I, I like being respected, you know? Um, but I also know that fame, it's fleeting. And it's also luck. You just, half the time it's just, yeah, it's just you're fucking lucky. It is. It's a tough and business. Right. But people know that. Like Susie Essman is the greatest, like, she's so fucking funny. She's great on Curb. But she's like, you know, Larry called me, said, would you do this show? Like, I'm so lucky. Like, she's so, and she's just a great person. Mario Cantone, great person, you know. Joy Behar, like, there's all these people that know, you know, I got some great breaks. Yeah. Two more questions before we wrap okay. up. And then I, I know I never off. shut the fuck up. No, no, no. Okay. Well, I, I feel have... like you're like, oh, no. God, she's going to continue to. No, me. no, I'm just being respectful right. of your time. I could talk to you for 17 All hours. Right. Are you kidding okay, me? Good. Okay. Uh, talk to me just, you know, from podcast host to podcast host. Kill me now. Podcast. Do you love doing your podcast? I do. But it is a labor of love because it's not like I make any money. Um, but I love interviewing people. I love, like, I just want to know all the shit no one knows about you. Like, yeah. and especially growing up, like, what made you choose this life path? You know, and what were all the things along the way that made you who you are? Um, and I, you know, at the end of my podcast, I always ask my guests what pisses them off the most. And that's always fun because... No one talks about, like, even the most unanimated people, you know, get pissed off about something. And I'm always fascinated. I'm always fascinated by people who don't get pissed off. Like, I am so reactive. And I like, when someone is incompetent or unjust or unfair, I'm like, I can't. It's just awful. And there are people who are like, oh, you know, it is what it is. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Something's got to piss you off. And everyone has something that fucking makes them crazy. And I love talking about that. So, yeah, I love being a podcast host. Well, feel free to have me on as a guest anytime you'd like. Anytime, David. I, I like interviewing people, too. I do. I feel like you, you, it's just like an intimate thing, whether even if it's on a Zoom, like you get to know someone Right. And then you remember what they say. Like, I'm one of those people, if I pay attention, I don't pay attention to a lot of things in life, but like right. if I interview you, I'm paying attention, then I'll, I will remember 
it right. forever. That's just But it's also because you're interested in it. Like it's like yeah. you know, some people don't want to learn about other people, but I think everyone has a story. And that's why I love doing the podcast, because it's like you all you have a story that no one's heard. And so many of them are like, I'm like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? It's it's amazing what people have gone through in their lives to get to where they are. And yeah. And I think people's stories help other people. I saw you do a uh, live one at the triad theater with Sandra Bernhardt. Oh, I fucking love Sandra. Uh, oh, thanks for coming. Yeah. That Anytime. was really fun. Wasn't that fun? I mean, the two of you together. That's, yeah, you know, I love her. I love her. Utmost respect. She's a, you know, she's a New Yorker. She yes. lives in the area. You're two nice Jewish girls. Yes, exactly. Where do you see comedy going? Like, I mean, you're not going to change, but I mean, based on your book, like, do you see comedians, unlike you, unlike what Joan would do, like, do you see comedians succumbing to this? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there are some, and I do respect this, who are like, you know, I'm okay adjusting. You know, okay, that's fine, but and good for you, but that's not my style, you know? And, like, why are you stopping yourself from laughing? Like, why? It, why are you, you know, I was, when I il- interviewed Gilbert for the book, he's like, there's so many times I say something and people are like, cover their mouths laughing, like, oh, I shouldn't be laughing at that, but they do. You know, and then you stop yourself. Why? What's that? It doesn't change the situation. You know, a joke doesn't cheapen uh, anything. It, it actually causes people to talk about things, you know, where there's no discourse, there's no growth. And, you know, I talk about disabled comics getting on stage, um, breaking the stigma. When I came out on stage and talked about being a a lesbo mom, right? First of all, everyone in the audience with kids was 99.9% were straight. And after a minute or two, they were like, oh, it's the same shit we go through. You know, like they forgot. And then I was doing this bit in the uh, early 2000s because I really couldn't believe we couldn't get married. Like it was ridiculous. And especially when you have kids and they're like, wait, why can't you get married? And I'm like, yeah, why can't we get married? And I did this bit about all the people who can get married and have more rights than I do because it's a, it's a guy and a girl. So it was like uh, Eric and Lyle Menendez who killed their parents, right. both got married in jail. So they can file a joint tax return and get a federal inheritance tax break. But I can't, I can't right. because I'm a lesbian, even though I've been with my partner for 20 years and I have two, like they, like um, Mary Kay Letourneau, she can marry her, you know, 12 year old student when he's right. of age, five, yeah, but I can't, I can't. Cause, and, and me doing that is going to really affect your fucking life, you know? And so I used to do this whole bit. And I remember in Houston, this guy, this army guy, he was a military guy, came up to me. He's like, you know, I never really thought about it like that. Or see why you guys want to get married. And I was like, that's the power of comedy. Like, so when you, you know, where do I see it going? If we continue on this, this uh, path of vilifying anyone for talking about anything important, you know, not good. 
because satire and humor, those are the last bastions of free speech. Yeah. They really are. You know, you think about the Holocaust, um, there's documentation of prisoners putting on shows for one another, you know? Um, in 1934, there was the Treachery Act, where if you made a joke about Hitler, you'd get killed. I mean, what? come on. You know? It's ridiculous. That's, is that where we're heading? Ugh. I get hope not. Over it. I certainly hope not. That's right, motherfuckers! That is right! I was just going to say, so everyone needs to buy your book. Yes, I can say that. Uh, it's yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. The audio book yes. was mentioned in the New York Times book review. People love the audio book because it's really written in my voice, even though I don't want to hear it. Um, but people do love it. Just lower the volume. And uh, <laughs> I'm so funny. Uh, but people are, if you're a comedy fan, you like to laugh. I think it's an important book. I think so, for what we're going through. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Anything we didn't cover? I like to give people a chance at the end Um, to address any questions I didn't ask. Here's what I want. I want everyone to buy the book, and then I want them to give me a fucking five-star review on Amazon and get rid of that fucking cunt uh, review. And... I'll give you a five-star review because I understand. It's the same thing with Apple Podcasts. It's like you get one review and you're like, fuck you. Yeah. It's, and it's like, and you're home jerking off, like with not any fucking talent, you know, go fuck yourself. Um, I don't know. Just please vote. Everyone needs to vote. We got to get that motherfucker. I can't. Oh, it's so annoying. Um, I don't know. That's it. I guess. That's all good. Everyone needs to buy the book. You're amazing. I really appreciate You taking your time. You have a lot uh, of things to do. You'll come back on. You'll uh, come back on. Any time. Any time. I love you. And the next time you do a show, you know, in this area, when okay. you're back in New and, York. And email me if you come to P-Town. I will. Because, like, seriously, I have, I have friends up there. Yeah, you should fucking come visit just to get the fuck out. I have friends that live there full time. They moved oh. from New York to P-Town, okay. like, years ago. Okay, that's what you need to do. And they're like, they don't miss New York. Even before, having nothing to do with this, right. they moved up there See? and they're just like, this is a, it's, listen, it's a great place to be. It's a great right. community. Don't tell the straight people. All right. We're not. Thank you okay. so much, Judy. Oh, I really appreciate David, it. David, you're the best. I-, I will send you an email. Okay. All right. Bye. So long. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. 
or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.